my friend Lyric is coming now. Uh, we are super excited to have the opportunity to teach together this morning. Um, the worship band, weren't they fantastic today? I appreciate them so much. Such a gifted group of musicians. And I love that this morning, did you see all the different ages? They were up here, uh, there were high school people, there were college people, there were middle-aged people, because they're my age. <laughs> and so I love that. I love that that represents um, a healthy church, doesn't it? To see all those different ages. So such an incredibly gifted group of people. So I appreciate their help. Um, my friend, Lyric Wembley, this is Lyric Wembley. Um, <laughs> I talked to her a couple, well, it was probably a month ago or so. And I said, Lyric, I have this idea. And I would love for you to teach with me that day. And she said, you know, I'd, I'll do that. I would like to do that. Um, this is really important scripture that we're talking about today. And this is an incredibly gifted young woman, very smart, um, very kind. And so I wanted you to hear her voice today uh, of what we're talking about, all right? So uh, we are going to talk about really important things first, all right? So first of all, Eric Wembley, would you tell <laughs> us one of your favorite meals? Let's just talk about important stuff first, okay? <laughs> My favorite meal is steak. Okay. There's going to come a picture of steak soon. Yeah. Um, I like potatoes, so I'll eat like sweet potatoes, potato salad, and I love macaroni and cheese. I also love greens. Those are my favorite things to eat. And I like chocolate cake with vanilla frosting. Okay. I understood everything. Can you tell me more about greens? Greens are a southern delicacy. Oh, <laughs> delicacy. Okay. <laughs> So how, uh, how, what, what does that mean? How do you, what are they? So either you can buy them in a can or you can cook them fresh, but you put them in a pot, you add a little bacon, some onions, hot sauce is good on greens. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, you just cook them till they're ready. Okay, so those are collard greens, right? And a southern delicacy, yeah. I love that. Okay, so my favorite, one of my favorite meals, I grew up every Sunday um, eating pot roast. I think, I don't know for sure if it was every Sunday, but it seemed like every Sunday we had pot roast. Uh, I like to cook it now because what I thought then was it was difficult, and it's really not difficult, and it cooks the whole time you're at church, and then it's ready. So, But I like it really moist. I will tell you, meat should be brown, so the whole medium well, eh. So oh, meat should well. be brown, in my opinion, and nice and juicy, and uh, mashed potatoes and carrots that you get credit for eating carrots, but they don't really taste like carrots because you cooked them with roast the whole time, so they're delicious. Um, and uh, make gravy, like from the drippings, really nice, rich, dark gravy to go over it. And then um, desserts could really be a variety for me. I haven't met a dessert I don't like. So um, I would have like key lime pie or scotcheroos or this time of year, maybe Christmas cookies. So um, is your mouth watering yet? Okay, good. That's what we were hoping for. Um, because the scripture that we're going to talk about today reminds me of this discussion. Because you know what? We don't fully agree. Now, it does sound like we're both carnivores and that we both enjoy a good potato. Um, <laughs> but I, honestly, I've never tried collard greens. So I have no idea if I like those or not. And I, I definitely wouldn't have described them as a southern delicacy because I have no idea, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I could probably, you know, manage a piece of chocolate cake down, but if there was something else, I would probably choose like a key lime pie or something else. So we can agree to disagree, right? 
She's got her favorites, I've got my favorites, and we can both be friends, it's okay. And so as we look at uh, this discussion in scripture, um, this was some of the stuff that was being talked about. Seems kind of petty, doesn't it? But it became really important to them. And so we are uh, talking about Rome, all right? So when the church began in Rome, did you know that no disciples had been to Rome to start a church? None of the original disciples. There was no signs, there was no wonders. Uh, that had happened in Rome, just people believed that Jesus was the Messiah and it changed their lives. That's it. They believed it on faith. And that's a remarkable thing to me, that they didn't have to have all the hoopla. They just believed it. Now, the Jews that converted uh, to Christianity, most of them had been driven out of Rome. So the remaining people making up these churches were mostly Gentiles. Now, Gentiles are people who weren't Jewish. So that's us. All right, we're just a room full of Gentiles today, okay? So uh, Paul recognized that there were these ethical demands of the gospel, so he decided to write what they would have called a circular letter. All that means is he wrote a letter and they passed it from neighborhood church to neighborhood church because they didn't have one of these. They didn't have one of these to pass around, okay? So he wrote this letter and they passed it from church to church. He wrote it while he was in Corinth, and he was towards the end of his really important mission. So this is what happened. He went from place to place, and he was um, creating churches, and they were almost all Gentiles. Well, there was a group of Jews who were in Jerusalem who were extremely poor. And so when Paul built a church and went from Gentile to Gentile congregation, he collected an offering to take back to Jerusalem to the Jews. So... The Gentiles were giving an offering to the Jews. Paul had such high hopes that this would bring healing. It would bring peace to the Jews and Gentiles coming together. So that's kind of where we find where he's writing Romans. That's kind of where he's in the midst. So he's almost at the end of his mission, of his traveling, and he's writing to them and he's saying, I got high hopes that I might be able to stop by Rome and come and meet you guys, come and see you guys and go from church to church and visit with folks a little bit, okay? So that's the setting of where we're at. So this morning, we'd like to talk about Romans 14 and 15, okay? So the scripture is not gonna be on the, um, what's that called? screen because uh, there's so much of it, okay? So if you brought your Bible with you today, we'd love for you to look it up. Uh, also, there's Bibles right in front of you in the pew. Um, in the front of that Bible is, just like any other book, a table of contents. And so we're in the book of Romans. The table of contents is going to be divided into Old Testament and New Testament. Romans is in the New Testament, okay? So if you'll look in the table of contents, it'll show you which page to turn to. Then you're going to look for the big 14, all right, because that's chapter 14. So we're going to be reading from Romans 14 and 15. Now, we're going to use a paraphrase today called the message. So it won't match exactly what you're reading, but it's kind of the same gist, okay, so that you know that that's coming. Um, we know that this time of year, people are thinking about New Year's resolutions, which is fantastic. 2020, a whole new decade is coming, so it's exciting to think about. So we wanted to kind of help you with those. And so... Romans 14 and 15 are about two things. Uh, they're about Christian tolerance and Christian responsibility. Now, as we talked and studied and worked through all of this, we kind of decided that um, society has sort of redefined those words. And so we wanted to make sure we brought clarity to what the actual definition of tolerance and responsibility are. Okay, so let's look at those real quick. Tolerance, a fair, objective, and permissive attitude towards 
opinions, beliefs, and practices that differ from one's own. Um, I can't exactly pinpoint one time that I've had to deal with tolerance. It kind of happens amongst like conversations with my friends, like when we don't agree. Sometimes we just have to agree to disagree. Okay. So tolerance can be where you don't, uh, everybody doesn't land on the same page and you can still be friends. Okay. We've kind of lost that definition a little bit. Now responsibility, the definition of this, responsibility, the state or fact of being responsible, answerable or accountable for something within one's power, control or management. I just had a situation with responsibility this week. On Thursday, John and I realized we hadn't paid Scott and Sherry, which is John's brother, Scott and Sherry back for, they'd gotten us a hotel in Kansas City. And we didn't give them any money for it, <laughs> for a hotel room, which is a lot of money, especially around Christmas time. So I stopped at their house. Nobody was there, knocked on the door, nobody was there. So I let myself in through the garage, left the door from the garage into the house, kind of parted and just said, hello, because you, know, you don't really want to walk into somebody's house. Nobody was there, laid the money on the counter and left. Didn't realize until an hour and a half later when Sherry called and said, did you let the dog out? I said, no, was I supposed to let the dog out? And she said, no, he's just out. He's on the back porch and the neighbor said he played with the kids for about an hour and I was like, oh dear. <laughs> and so she said, did you stop by the house? And I was waiting like, should I tell her? You know, I said, <laughs> I said yes, I did. And she said, okay, because we found the money and that's all we could figure out because he doesn't have hands. So we couldn't figure out how he got out. So, are those, is there a time in your life when you found like you got to take responsibility for something? Maybe you didn't even realize it happened, but for sure it happened. I was so glad that dog went, because they live right on Sheridan, went the other way. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would have been bad. Um, so, taking responsibility. Um, District 108, the um, uh, first through sixth graders, they have, the, every morning they say the Pledge of Allegiance, and they also say the I Care Pledge. And number five in their eye cares is, I am responsible for what I say and do. So responsibility is a really important part of this scripture we're going to talk about today. So uh, the scripture we're discussing addresses tolerance and responsibility. Uh, for the Romans now, Paul knew that the unity and harmony of the church was threatened by two specific things. Diversity of gifts and differences in religious opinions. So... Everybody had different gifts. Everybody kind of had different opinions. Did you know the Roman church was just like PFN? It was perfect until we got there, right? <laughs> so this church today was perfect until 702 when we walked in the doors. And then Jake and I blew it, all right? Because, uh, be, sorry, Jake, because uh, uh, they had a difference in gifts, diversity of gifts and a difference in opinion. Um, at this time, some of the Gentiles were adopting the Jewish dietary restrictions. They didn't really know what to do. They knew the Jewish had these rules, so they thought, okay, we'll go with that. Some of them were adopting the calendar regulations. Because of all the different gifts and the diversity of religious opinions, it became this melting pot of religion um, and, and the melting pot of belief. So who was right? Who was wrong? They didn't really know. It got kind of confusing. And so Paul wrote this so that we could get some of this stuff right, okay? So uh, we're going to start with Romans 14. <clears throat> Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who do not see things the way that you do. 
Do not jump all over them every time they do something or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong in opinion but weak in the faith department, remember, they have their own histories to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around for a while well, be, might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table while another with a different background might assume that he should only eat vegetarian. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticize what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? There are corrections to be made or manners to be learned. God can handle it without your help. Or say one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy and others think that each day is pretty much like any other. There are good reasons for either way. So each person is free to follow the convictions of conscience. Continuing on in chapter 14, what's important? We're at verse 9 right now. What's important in all this is that if you keep a holy day, keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat it to the glory of God and thank God for prime rib. If you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for broccoli. None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God we are answerable to all the way from life to death and everything in between, not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again, so that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. So where does that leave you when you criticize a brother? And where does that leave you when you condescend to a sister? I'd say it leaves you looking pretty silly or worse. Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment, facing God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there one bit. Read it for yourself in Scripture. As I live and breathe, God says, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will tell the honest truth that I and only I am God. So tend to your knitting. You've got your hands full just taking care of your own life before God. That's pretty good, isn't it? And so that's also a little harsh. <laughs> I can feel that. Uh, when we were studying for this and I was first reading that, I was kind of, hey, I kind of felt that, you know? And so we have this incredible book that we've been gifted. So the, the first half is the Old Testament. Um, and it was written primarily for the Jewish people. So it was written in Hebrew because that's what the Jewish people spoke in and, and read in, okay? The back half of the Bible, the New Testament, where Romans is, is written in Greek and Aramaic because it was written mostly for the Gentiles and they spoke Greek and Aramaic, okay? So there's a Greek word in this passage of scripture that we just read through, and that Greek word is asthenanta. Ask the noun tip. And what that means is someone who is feeble or weak, but has potential to become strong. I will tell you, I'm an ask the noun tip. I'm on the other end of it, but I sure started there. And I'm so grateful that people in this church, this has been my church my whole life, people in this church left me room, <laughs> left me and the Holy Spirit room 
when I was weak and feeble, but they saw potential that I could become strong. And they left him room to deal with me. (laughs) I'm so grateful for that. And so that's what this scripture is talking about. Can we be the church that leaves room? Because every single one of us is imperfect, right? Every single one of us is figuring it out. Uh, Some of us are still in the weak and feeble spot, but boy, others of us can sure see the potential that they're going to become really strong. Some of us are really strong because somebody saw our potential and helped us get there. I will forever be grateful to this place for that, that they allowed me that room. And so as we think about this as the Nauta, it's really important um, that we recognize that if God receives this wavering person, then we have to too. We got to have room for that. Uh, Paul is confident that Christian liberty, Christian freedom, through the grace and power of Christ, will prove a triumphant moral success. So if we can give that person in the Holy Spirit room, they're going to figure it out and they're going to become the strong follower. Uh, I will tell you throughout life, I've put stakes in the ground. These are our stakes today, these three stakes. Uh, When I was 18 years old, I prayed to be sanctified. So I had already asked God to forgive my sins, so I would be, I was already saved. That's kind of a church word, but that's how we would describe it. And I prayed and asked for sanctification, which meant I asked God to set apart my whole life. So, So could everything about me be for him? Could he use me in any way? So could he pick out what my job would be someday? Um, would I allow him room to help me know who I was, if I was going to get married, first of all, and then if I was, who I would marry? Um, what church would I go to? What kind of different ways would I be able to volunteer? So I wanted him to be in charge of all of that. So I got sanctified when I was 18. That was a stake in the ground moment for me. Um, in 1989, John and I got married. That was a stake in the ground moment for us because we said to each other and to God and to our family and our church family, we are committed to each other for life, the end. That's our stake in the ground moment, okay? You probably have some. Lyric, do you have some? Yeah, I've got a couple stake in the ground moments. One was when I was baptized. A little backstory. When I was six or seven, I gave my heart to the Lord. And when I was eight, I got baptized in the church of the Nazarene wasn't originally my idea. I wasn't sold on the idea. <laughs> but um, looking back, it's a decision that I don't regret. Another one was when I transferred my membership from Sterling to here. It kind of made things more real. Like, I don't live in Sterling anymore. So I now go here. Another decision I don't regret. Okay, good. So we have these stake-in-the-ground moments. And so from this scripture... Um, there's some stake in the ground moments. The first one we wanted to talk about is this idea of Christian liberty. Paul tells us that we have freedom. We can put a stake in the ground. If I'm a Christ follower, I have the freedom to follow him. Um, What's important is that I recognize that's my freedom. And you know what? My friend Joan has her Christian liberty also. And so I need to be careful and she needs to be careful that we don't mess up each other's liberty. Okay, so Christian liberty is a stake in the ground moment for us. Righteousness and charitable. These words kind of have very simple meanings. To be righteous, just try 
to do your best to be godly to other people. And to be charitable means just be giving. Right, that, that you are not the end all. There's somebody else that we need to do something for that we could help with, okay? So we're gonna be back in Romans 14 now. <clears throat> Forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about, that you don't get in the way of someone else making life more difficult than it already is. I'm convinced, Jesus convinced me that everything as it is in itself is holy. We, of course, by the way we treat or talk about it, can contaminate it. <clears throat> if you confuse others by making a big issue over what they eat or don't eat, you're, you're no longer a companion with them in love, are you? These, remember, are people for whom Christ died. Would you risk sending them to hell over an item in their diet? Don't you dare let a piece of God-blessed food become an occasion of soul poisoning. God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sakes. <laughs> it's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. Do that, and you will kill two birds with one stone. Please. Pleasing the God above you and proving your worth to the people around you. So let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault. You're certainly not going to permit an argument over what is served or not served at supper to wreck God's work among you, are you? I said it before and I'll say it again. All food is good, but it can turn bad if you use it badly. If you use it to trip others up and send them sprawling. When you sit down to a meal, your primary concern should not be to feed your own face, but to share the life of Jesus. I just love the message. So be sensitive and courteous to the others who are eating. Don't eat or say or do things that might interfere with the free exchange of love. Cultivate your own relationship with God, but don't impose it on others. You're fortunate if your behavior and your belief are coherent, but if you're not sure, if you notice that you're acting in ways inconsistent with what you believe, some days you're trying to impose your opinions on others, other days you're just trying to please them, then you know that you're out of line. If the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, then it's wrong. My mother always told me that the more you genetically change food, the further it is from the way that God intended it to be. Which is what we're talking about here. It just gets farther from what God intended it to be. Um, now, another Greek word happens here, and it's scandalon, okay, scandalon. And this is the same word that's used in Matthew 18. This is what Matthew 18 says. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin? Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? So we got this idea of scandalon. Now, when scandalon is used in Romans, it's not talking about little children. It's talking about the spiritually young. And so what am I doing that would interrupt the spiritually young being able to see Jesus? I got to pay attention. We got to be very careful to follow the convictions God has placed on our own lives, but not to impose them on other people. 
You know, we got to allow room for the Holy Spirit to convict other people because his timing's perfect. He knows and loves each one of us so uniquely that he knows exactly where you are and what you're dealing with, and he will offer help in that situation. Now, if I step in and become your personal Holy Spirit, that does not help you. So I've got to pay attention that I was an asthenauta, you might be an asthenauta, and I don't want a scandal on you, okay? Look at all the Greek we're learning today, all right? <laughs> I gotta admit, I wasn't originally sold on the, on the idea of moving here, <laughs> but the more I got to know people in the church and in Southside, the easier it became to build relationships with people. And the more I realized this is where we're supposed to be right now. Mm, may yeah. not be where I want to be, but it's where we're supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully the want to be and the supposed to be will come together soon. They have, they have. <laughs> they have, good, good. Uh, there's a quote, the freedom of conscience has been won by Christ. Isn't that true? He already, he already paid everything. He already won it all. But will inevitably get a bad name if it is exercised in an inconsiderate, loveless fashion. I want to talk to you a minute about this idea of the journey of grace. So we start, all of us are on a journey. We got this whole timeline up here. Uh, all of us started clear over here where we were pre-grace. We didn't know Jesus yet. Um, you might have come to know him as a child or a little bit older, but you were pre you were pre-Christ um, at that time. So you experienced prevenient grace, which means the Holy Spirit was with you even before you knew he was with you. Uh, and you had these moments of grace where you had the, uh, maybe even the want to, because we're all made in God's image, you had the want to to maybe be moral or maybe make a good choice. Well, that's that God image in you, okay? So we had this time. Then you come to a point where you come to know Christ as your personal savior, your best friend. So now I made a choice for Christ. So I had my pre-grace and I made a choice for Christ. Now, my journey of grace involves me continuing to follow God every day, waking up and saying, what's your will for me today, Lord? Where's an opportunity that I could talk to somebody or offer hope into somebody's life? But on this, we run the gamut, don't we? There's people way in front of me in my journey of grace. And I watch them and I'm so grateful for their example. I see the fruit in their life. I see over and over again how they look like Jesus. They're the hands and feet of Jesus. And when I turn around and see, there's some people behind me on the journey of grace. They haven't quite got to the same experience as I have yet. So when I look back, I have to remember they're following me. <laughs> they're watching my life. And so what am I doing to help them to keep moving forward? So we've got this whole journey of grace that, uh, let's look at that quote one more time. If at any time on that journey of grace, I am inconsiderate or loveless in my fashion of how I treat another person, uh, that could cause somebody's journey of grace to end. If I don't look like Jesus and I say I am like Jesus, that doesn't help Jesus, okay? So let's make sure that on this journey of grace, we're leaving room for people uh, to have their own convictions that the Holy Spirit will convict him in his timing and will help them to move forward and that we're being great examples and love-filled and grace-filled to offer them hope to continue moving on their journey of grace. It's kind of like that song by Bon Jovi, You Give Love a Bad Name. Beautiful. <laughs> that is beautiful. That's exactly right. <laughs> See why I invited her? That's awesome. Okay. 
So how we treat people matters. Uh, considering this idea of scandal on the practical rule implied here is when anything is morally indifferent to me, before I act on my conviction, I need to ask how my action will affect the peace of the church and the Christian growth of others. So I just got to pay attention. It's more than me. It's more than you. We got to pay attention. Does it affect you when you see a Christian friend that does not do something that you think that they should do or does something that you think they shouldn't do? What do we do with that? How do I safeguard myself and pay attention to what really matters? And how do I cultivate my relationship with Christ? Well, in my opinion, it's not about your opinion. <laughs> it's about what God is using you to say to that person. Okay. Micah says, oh, people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. I think those are great stakes in the ground. To do right. So we already talked about righteous. So... Maybe I know it is righteous, but I got to actually choose to do it. To love mercy. So not only did I love mercy for me, but I love mercy for you. And so how am I showing that to you? And to walk humbly. It is not about me. I love that what she just said. In my opinion, it's not about my opinion. I need to recognize that I need to be humble before God and humble before other people uh, so that they can see Jesus through me. So those are great stakes in the ground. The more stakes are peace and joy. <clears throat> when you follow Christ, you have this overwhelming sense of peace and joy. Those are things that other people are going to want in their life too. Um, they, I can usually sense a sense of peace around people. I'm very good at feeling other people's feelings. <laughs> um, they also feel joy and I think that makes it more attractive to want to follow God because even at low points you can still feel a sense of joy so you feel like joy and happiness are two different things yeah yep. I feel as though happiness is temporary but joy is everlasting nice okay good yeah look at it. <laughs> Um, and so now we are to Romans 15. If you're tracking us in scripture, we're in Romans chapter 15. <clears throat> Romans 15 says, those of us who are strong and able in faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Each of us need to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but waded right in and helped out. It took, I took on the troubles of the troubled, is what the scripture says. I like the part where it says, strength is for service, not status. It's not about you. Yeah, It's about how we can help other people. That's good. Uh, moving on in Romans 15, this idea of unselfish understanding. Even if it was written in scripture long ago, you can be sure it's written for us. God wants the combination of his steady, constant calling and warm personal counsel in scripture to come to characterize us, keeping us alert for whatever he will do next. May our dependably steady and warmly personal God 
develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us. Then we'll be a choir, not only our voices, but our very lives singing in harmony in a stunning anthem to the God and Father of our Master Jesus. So reach out and welcome one another to God's glory. Jesus did it, now you do it. Jesus, staying true to God's purposes, reached out in a special way to the Jewish insiders so that the old ancestral promises would come true for them. As a result, the non-Jewish outsiders, that's us, have been able to experience mercy and to show appreciation to God. Just think of all the scriptures that will come true if we do. For instance, then I'll join outsiders in a hymn sing. I'll sing to your name. And this one, outsiders and insiders rejoice together. And again, people of all nations celebrate God. All colors and races give hearty praise. And Isaiah's words, there's the root of our ancestor Jesse, breaking through the earth and growing tree tall, tall enough for everyone everywhere to see and take hope. So our last stakes in the ground, living in patience with one another. Aren't you glad that somebody was patient with you? I'm so happy that I had the parents that I had. They were very patient people. I'm really happy I have the husband that I have. He's a very patient person. I'm really happy I have the church family that I have. Very patient people. And so can I express that into other people's life? Comfort. Not only comfort from the comforter, uh, the Holy Spirit, but also comfort from one another, other Christ believers. And encouragement. Helping people to recognize, okay, you're on this journey of grace, and you're here and I want to help you as you continue to move forward and move forward and move forward. Um, how can I encourage another person to do that? So great stakes in the ground. Some more stakes in the ground are hope, understanding, and unity. You have to have hope that things in the world can change. Or else if you don't have hope, you really don't have much of anything. Understanding, understand that change doesn't just happen when you want it to, it doesn't happen overnight. And unity, in order for things to change, it can't just be me and Cheryl. Everybody has to do their part. Mm -hmm. Very good, out of those, Lyric, what would you choose? Which one that's, that's really been a stake in your ground? Probably understanding. Um, I kind of can be impatient sometimes, <laughs> in the sense that I want things. <laughs> Thanks, you got to hate it when your mom's sitting on the railroad. <laughs> Just in the fact that I want things to change when I want them to change. Okay. And sometimes it's not about my timing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mine, I think, would be patience. Uh, I'm just so grateful that uh, I go back to that ask the noun to word. I'm so grateful that people gave me room, you know, that people were patient with that, that there was parts of me that were getting it. And there was parts of me that were so feeble and weak and I was not getting it. And so I'm really happy um, that people were patient and that's what I'd love to do for other people. So all of this to say, can we be this church? You know, the PFN network, can Summit be this church? Can Southside be this church? Online, can we be this church? When people say, hey, what about that Nazarene church? Can, yeah, that's, that's a place where you can experience Christian liberty. And there's people there who are living righteous lives. They're choosing every day to do it God's way because God's way is right. So they're living righteous lives. They're also really charitable. I found that they know there's other people outside of them and, and they need help. Uh, they're a people of peace. 
They may not agree on everything, but they're a people of peace. Uh, there's so much hope expressed in those places. Boy, I went to Summit, I went to Southside, and it's a time in my life where I thought things can get better. I can feel hope about what God has for my future. Can we do right, love mercy, and walk humbly? Boy, if each of us did that, imagine the change that would come to our world. Just if this amount of people, we every day did right, loved mercy, and walk humbly. That we expressed joy in our lives. We were patient people. We comforted each other through encouragement. We understood that you're not in the same place I'm at, and that's okay. And we had great unity. Let's be this church. Let's be this church. Because I will tell you, I have never been a 16-year-old black girl. Ever. I've never grown up in a single home. I've never gone to high school and college at the same time. Do you know that this young woman, when she graduates high school, she will also have her associate's degree from college? Is that incredible? Incredible. I've never moved from my hometown into a new area to meet new people, to go to a new school. I've never done any of those things. Can I be this for Lyric? Because you know what? I can learn a whole lot for Lyric, from Lyric if I'll pay attention. If I'll listen and watch her life, I've already learned so much from her because I've never been her. So I think it's really important for us to pay attention to this. <clears throat> I've never been a 50-year-old white woman. <laughs> 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 but, but in all seriousness, I've never walked in Cheryl's shoes. <laughs> I've never been a mom. I've never been a wife. I've never experienced a lot of things that Cheryl has experienced. But I do know that God uses her story for a reason. Yeah. You know, not one minute of your story is wasted in heaven. All the different things that you've been through, some of the stuff you've been through that you think, oh, I hope nobody ever learns about this. <laughs> Not even that is wasted in the kingdom of heaven because God uses all of that to create who you are and to give you this story of hope and encouragement and love that you can offer to somebody else. And at some point in your life, you're gonna be able to empathize with somebody else where maybe I can only sympathize because I haven't been through the same thing. So not one moment is wasted in the kingdom of God. Aren't you glad? And so let's learn from each other. Let's recognize the beauty, the intelligence, the sense of humor, all these different things that God has put into Lyric and put into a 50-year-old white lady <laughs> <laughs> that he wants to use for his good. It's so important. You know, today we're starting a conversation. That's really what the scripture is. Paul wanted those neighborhood churches to talk about this. He wanted them to sit down from each other and say, you know what? I kind of thought you were doing wrong and you thought I was doing wrong. I think we better talk this through. I didn't, I've never walked in your shoes, so I didn't know what you were experiencing. I really got to pay attention to your life and learn from your experiences. That's all we're talking about. And so start the conversation at your house. Start the conversation of what Romans 14 and 15 is talking about and give room for folks who aren't quite as far along on the journey of grace as you are. Will you pray with us? Daddy, you are such a great, kind, creative, patient, all these words, Lord, hope-filled, peaceful, 
all of these words is who you are. And that's why they are our stakes in the ground. Because we want to be like you. <laughs> we want you so much to be in charge of our lives and in charge of our church and in charge of our network that over and over again, this is what people see. Thank you for the incredible privilege of being on a journey of grace with you. Thank you that you found me. <laughs> that, that song earlier that, that's talked about the goodness of God and that you were running, you were pursuing me. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you for the privilege of salvation and sanctification in my life. And help me to pay attention that people around me need encouragement. They don't need for me to be judgmental or condescending. They need for me to be encouraging to them because I've never walked in their shoes. And so I thank you, Lord, for these words from Paul. We thank you for the hope that it offers us in our church. And I thank you, Lord, for all these folks who came uh, to learn with us today. Thank you, Lord, for Lyric and her willingness to teach with me today. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I would like to speak a benediction over you guys before you leave. Oh, may the, may the God of green hope fill you up with joy, fill you up with peace, so that your believing lives filled with life-giving energy of the Holy Spirit will brim over with hope. With hope. Let's be people of hope. Thanks for coming to church today. Oh. <laughs>